0: This is Resident Call Room, the HIPPO-EM Emergency Medicine Residence Podcast, with your hosts, Jess Mason and Jenny Farah, September
1: 2013.
2: Hey everyone, Jess Mason here with Jenny Farah.
0: And there it is, the blessing of Dr. Herbert and Dr. Bright, we've been blessed. Thank you for that lovely introduction. It's awesome to now be a part of this family and to have a special voice catered just for residents, which is such an important voice that, um, you know, unfortunately up until this point hasn't had its own special website, its own special form, and this show is going to be a venue for everyone to share their ideas.
2: Jenny, for goodness sakes, tell them who you are.
0: Well, I'm Jenny Farah, uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, went to USC for medical school, and I stuck around and I'm doing my emergency medicine residency at LA County, USC.
2: And I'm Jess Mason, also from Southern California, and then had the good fortune of meeting Jenny in medical school at USC, and then we parted ways so that I could go off to Cleveland, Ohio, and be a resident at the Case Western Reserve Metro Health Program and Cleveland Clinic.
0: That's a lot of words.
2: It is. They really have to work on that title. What do you guys call it for short? Metro.
0: Metro. Wow.
2: Yeah, of all those better. words,
0: you chose Metro. I love how you avoided Cleveland. Is
2: that <laughs> it? I said Cleveland, Ohio. Hey, don't get down on Cleveland. It's a cool town. I like it. At least you're not
0: Detroit. Anyways, <laughs> uh, now that we've alienated all of Michigan, um, I'm so excited. We're, I think uh, I speak for both of us, Jess, and we're, we're just so jazzed to do this, and we're so excited. And, and our goal is to have really us talk as little as possible and to really fill in a lot of gaps of these clips with voices from people from all over the country we hope this show will do uh, for you guys is provide you with about uh, 30 to 40 minutes worth of content every month that will be put on our website, and those episodes will be a compilation of a lot of different things. Uh, first and foremost, it will be me and Jess pretty much, uh, you know, just bitching about our latest shift and kind of talking about what we've been going through in our own lives as residents. So it's therapy for us. It truly is. I mean, honestly, most of the show is for us and venting, so that, that that's about <laughs> 80% of our purpose. Uh, and the other twenty percent will be filled with multiple interviews uh, from various residents all across the country,
2: yeah, residents and attendings. Some of them will be educational points, things we can learn from. and um, and some of it will be, you know, interesting transitions in in your career or um, any really social issues, anything that that we could benefit by sharing with emergency medicine residents as a whole.
0: yeah, so the themes of our shows are going to spread across a lot of. Uh, more academic content, but also some social issues that kind of arise while you're a resident. And we hope that every show will be a nice balance of those two things. And, And of course, very important, we also want to make you laugh a little too. So we've got nice little segments uh, to kind of highlight some more humorous parts of emergency medicine.
2: So we're going to be sprinkling in some fun bits in between these interviews and throughout each show. For example, we'd like to cover a really interesting case, and we'll try to bring you at least one a month. And this will be a case with a good learning point or maybe some unusual diagnosis that we could all benefit from hearing about. Another thing we want to bring you is a tip of the month that we learned from one of our co-residents or attendings. Another thing we could talk about is how you can kind of use equipment that you have in maybe a non-traditional way to solve a problem, sort of like these MacGyver moments. Yeah,
0: we've totally all been there when someone's like Jimmy rigged up some t- piece of equipment from five other different pieces of equipment that had other intended purposes and made something happen for a patient. And in fact, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about you know, these MacGyver moments, we need to think of a, a title for this segment, like a good one, a clever one. Uh, so if anyone out there has an idea for what to call that, uh, since I'm sure I'm 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 sure MacGyver's still alive and, you know, might be out there kind of a little Sue happy looking to <laughs> if we're using his name. I don't know. Is he alive? I'd have to Google that. So we're going to we're going to rename this segment something else. And we want your ideas for what we could possibly call that. So if you guys have an idea for what you want to call that segment, just send those ideas to us.
2: Let's get into the meat and potatoes here. Jenny and I are going to cover the transition from being a fourth-year medical student to being a new intern, which is arguably one of the most awkward times in a person's medical career.
0: I know, because I don't know about you, but like the latter half of my medical school career, like those last couple of months, were pretty, uh, like very far distant from actual medicine, as I hate to say. I think like most people, once I wrapped up with interviews, I had a pretty a pretty nice life for a while and uh, that included like vacations and a lot of rotations where you know I was kind of showing up every day not really and even when I was I'd go missing for a couple hours like I I was definitely enjoying that latter half of fourth year so the the beginning of intern year was definitely a shock to my senses
2: everyone's ramping up ramping up all the way up until interviews and the match and then after the match you're like all right I can breathe now (laughs) It goes from can I leave to I'm leaving, <laughs> yeah, and then it dead. goes from vacation time to very kind of stressful and working really hard. So it's it's stressful, and there's a lot of new responsibilities that we've never had to deal with before. You know, as a medical student, you you don't really make very many decisions; you make suggestions. At best. And that's about it. You're more just collecting data and making suggestions. And then all of a sudden, as an intern, you have to make decisions. And people start using the D word, doctor, which is really weird to hear at first.
0: Oh, for sure. As soon as I heard Dr. Farah, like, or yeah, or when they just yelled doctor, like, someone had to tap me on the shoulder and be like, that's you. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's me. Oh, that's exciting. But for sure, like, I wasn't used to being, like, the final verdict of anything. I mean, I would go in and give them my spiel, my attending, that is. And then they would go in and like, you know, make up their own mind about what they thought was happening. But now it's like, sometimes they don't even really go in and do as extensive as an exam that I did. And so I really am the only voice of the patient on the medical end. Yeah, there's a lot more trust
2: in what we're doing. Yes, yes. And it just magically happened
0: overnight. I know. (laughs) Everyone likes to get sick (laughs) overnight. Everyone decides that during the night when the interns only went around is the time to code or the time to just get deathly ill. (laughs) And then you're just left running to find an adult to take care of the situation.
2: Yeah, I found there's been a lot of times where either the ER gets crazy busy or I can't find the attending, they're off seeing another patient, but a decision needs to be made right now. And I have to make that decision. I have to step up to the plate and just kind of trust myself. If I can't find someone to ask a question, I just have to make a decision and then hope that it works out okay. And that's really stressful. There's actually
0: me. a little part of me, and please tell me you do this too, Jess, so I don't feel alone, that I'll put it in order, and in my the back of my mind I'm like, if this is going to kill someone, I'm sure it's going to get intercepted before it actually happens. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I'll put it in an order for a med, and I'm like, I hope this is the right dose, and I'm going to rest assured that The systems are in place that if it's going to do some harm, it'll be stopped before it happens, and I'm kind of doing a little prayer. And sure enough, like, if something's wrong, like, someone will alert me. But yeah, there's been a lot of – someone else will catch this, right?
2: And there's a lot of times where, fortunately, the nursing staff will catch things, and I tell them. I say, you know, hey – just try to make sure I don't do anything dumb or dangerous. And they're like, okay, haha." Ha. But then they actually watch out for me. And there's definitely yeah. been times where I've written an order for a dose and they've come up to me and they've been like, you can't give that dose, that's too much. Um, and then recently, you know, a good example was uh, a patient who was getting really, really agitated and I needed to sedate them. I needed to chemically take them down. And I knew how to do that, but... I hadn't had to pull the trigger on that before by myself when I couldn't get help in time and a decision needed to be made right away. And the drug that I chose was Haldol, which in an elderly person is not a good choice because of the increased chance of a dystonic reaction. And afterwards, my attending said, like, did you give give that? And I said, yeah, I already did. It's too late. He's like, okay, well, you know, hopefully that'll be all, all right. And it was, but now I'll never forget that learning point. So these things that you learn just right in the moment when you have to make a decision and then... You know, you learn about it later, and and I'll never forget that now.
0: This was very early on in my residency. I was actually not in the emergency department, but up in the ICU when my resident asked if I wanted to do a procedural sedation. I was like, great, what's that? <laughs> and so they're like, basically, you just choose your meds and you sedate them, and ortho's going to come in and do a, a manipulation for this fracture they had, and, you know, you just make sure that they don't die and you're good to go. No big deal. I'm like, uh, okay, I can do that. Um, so I gave him the meds and I realized after the fact, when I went to go do it again in a more like monitored area, like monitored as in people were looking out for me as the intern that like, when I did my very first procedural sedation, I had no airway stuff at the bedside. Like there was a lot of like prophylactic things that I should have done, including like having a respiratory therapist around, uh, having someone beyond, uh, you know, maybe at the fellow or attending level that should have been there. Like. Thank God nothing went wrong, but looking back on my very first one, I should have, there was a lot more I should have done. Like, I didn't even check the patient's airway ahead of time to make sure, like, if there was anything that would have made intubating difficult, I would have seen it coming. Like, there was very little I did other than make sure I had the right dose of fentanyl and Verset on board. Like, that was it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's scary how much they let us do as interns, and then we kind of realize after the fact, wow, that was maybe a little bit dangerous, and I have so much to learn from that now. Yeah, let's so, get to it.
0: So in in going with our theme of transitions, you know, me and Jess just talked about what it was like going from med school to intern year. Horrifying. Yes, horrifying, horrifying and awkward is basically the theme of our couple, you know, our first couple of weeks. And I was very interested in the transition from intern to second year, since I know what a lot of institutions Second year brings uh, added responsibility of of carrying more patients, carrying more acutely sick patients, and just overall people having the expectation of you that you're going to be able to do more on your own and have less supervision. Uh, Since intern year, you're a little bit protected with being able to say, I don't know, a lot of times without having too much judgment. So I interviewed a second year at my program at LA County USC. His name's Danny Minlin, great guy, and he shared with me a lot of candid thoughts of, What his second year has been like for him thus far. So let's take a listen. I have to warn you all ahead of time that, you know, we're all still kind of figuring out the best way to record these interviews on the fly. And unfortunately, as you'll soon hear, I sound like I'm underwater. Uh, In fact, like every P and T and S that leaves my mouth, like, Viciously attacks the microphone like the Tet Offensive or something, and it just sounds really violent. So, I apologize in advance for how poor my audio quality is, but thankfully, and, uh, Danny's comes in nice and clear, and that's really the voice we care a lot about. So, let's take a listen. We'll forgive
2: it. you this time, Thank Jenny. you, thank you. Really,
0: only this time. I swear, I swear. Yes, let's take a listen to what Danny had to share. All right, folks, we are here with Danny Minlin. Did I say that correctly?
3: Uh, if you ask Microsoft Word, it's mandolin.
0: Dr. Mandolin is that how it sounds
3: yesterday i spent probably five minutes trying to convince someone that it was not mindrin and they i was like no l is in larry not rary it it went nowhere. Your
0: life's hard. You have no idea. It's been difficult. And in fact, I want to talk about this difficult life of yours because you just recently moved up from the uh, glorious life of a low paid intern to the even more glamorous life of a
3: quasi paid more. A low paid second A low paid second year. And how has that been like for you? Um, it, I think it's one of these things where the anticipation has been by far the most terrifying and, and stressful part of it. The actual experience has been great, it's been fantastic. I'm loving it so far. You're all, loving it, yeah. All two month and a half.
0: So. Yeah, all month and a half of your big job uh, promotion. So, what what was the expectation? What were you What were you told what second year would be like? And what has it been for like you now?
3: Uh, right from the beginning, right from the start of the interview process, you have this whole thing of like graduated responsibility. Everywhere you go, you ask, well, like, what do you do in terms of graduated responsibility? And and they tell you, and it all seems great in theory. And then all of a sudden, you're an intern, and it's getting sort of late in intern year, and you're like, oh oh, God, I'm actually going to have to do all that stuff. Um, And it's horrifying.
0: What was all that stuff that you weren't doing as an
3: intern that you were told would change? Well, you know, this is L.A. County specific, but we we don't do any trauma as interns at all. So we sort of, we learn a little bit about it, and we talk about it, and it comes up at conference, but it's not something we actually interact with all that much outside of your sort of low-level, you know, sort of isolated ortho injuries. Um, but in terms of the actual trauma activations, we don't deal with them at all. Intern year is like, you're just learning. You know, your entire role is to just be a sponge and just soak up information. And This is something we say to our interns all the time. I think when you're an intern, you, you don't totally believe it, but you do sort of accept that, like, you're not really there to move people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then come second year, like, one of the big focuses of the year is you got to learn to be efficient and multitask and move patients. And all of a sudden, you're carrying way more patients at a time than you were last year.
0: Have you had any moments where you're like, someone left me alone with this, and I don't know if that was a wise decision? Like, mom, mom, (laughs) anybody?
3: Yeah, absolutely. There have been times like that, but I've reacted appropriately by running for help Um,
0: running literally running literally
3: running i run first i run to the bathroom so i don't actually pee myself
0: that's that's good Uh, yeah we got enough incontinence happening we don't need (laughs) to be doing it ourselves
3: yeah Yeah. you can go overboard with the expectation of independence you know and you know the fact is i'm a second year i'm not a third year you know i'm certainly not a fourth year i'm not expected to know everything um there's a big step in responsibility but i don't have Absolute responsibility. I'm not expected to be totally independent. And when you get into those situations that are auto urination inducing, um, <laughs> you need to remember that. It makes things better when you can go be like, ah, oh, somebody help me, please.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, is there embarrassment with that? Like, still, so do you feel like you, you feel like people expect you not to ask for help as often, or do you feel like you know, you know what? I got to do
3: what I got to. You know, do. by the end of intern year, you're so over not knowing stuff. It's okay. And, like, as an intern, you can just be like, well, I'm an intern. I don't know anything. But even as a second year, it's like, well, I just haven't seen this before. You know, or I haven't dealt with this particular thing before. As it happens, I haven't had very sick DKA. You know, I haven't had, you know, true thyroid storm. Whatever it is, you know, if you haven't had it, you haven't had it, and that's okay. Or it's just been a while. You know, you can't really say that once you graduate. Yeah. you You kind of know the stuff. But as a second year, it's, I think it's perfectly acceptable
0: okay so you got like new responsibility you're seeing more patients how is the juggling of seeing more patients than before how's that going
3: it is a huge challenge so far the hardest thing i've had to deal with because nobody else can really help you with that you know i think having to deal with patients i'm not comfortable with or or you know things i don't know the answers to that's gonna happen that's okay but i do and i don't view that as a failure on my part Whereas I think I do view it as a failure on my own part, if I'm not able to handle my patient load. Okay. Uh, You know, if if my attending is sort of visibly displeased with my efficiency or or lack thereof, I just happen to personally feel as if that reflects on me. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's stressful. Absolutely, you know, we're carrying 10 patients at a time in some areas, and that's, that's a lot. It's tough to do, and that's a lot more than we were expected to do last year, but you know, the point is not to be great at it right off the bat. The point is to be great at it by the time you finish.
0: Were there any like lessons you had to learn the hard way, like things that you know it would have been great if someone could have been there by your side and said, "This is what we're going to do," and that's how you learn to
3: avoid some some misfire? But I think honestly, the big thing, uh, and again, you know, we're only a month or so into the year, so it's uh, there will be many more lessons to be learned the hard way. The, my first couple of shifts when I was carrying ten patients. I was here an hour and a half, two hours past the end of my shift Mm -hmm. because I was writing charts and I hadn't kept on my charting and I had just gotten wrapped up in like, oh God, this needs to get done and now this needs to get done. If you're not, sometimes you just have to accept that and get your work done because if you leave everything for the end of your shift, you know, and this was something we were talking about, I was talking with a couple of our senior residents afterwards and they were like, oh yeah, you just got to stop sometimes and just write your charts. Mm -hmm. You just got to sit down and just bang out three charts. Because otherwise, they're all going to pile up, and you are going to get to the end of your shift, and you're going to have seven charts to write, and you're going to start mixing up patients, and you just you can't do it. You're going to be there two hours past the end of your shift when you have to work the next morning.
0: To stay on more top of your charting and not feel guilty about pausing in the middle of a shift and saying, "I got to plug out these couple of charts," it's going to get worse. Right,
3: and I haven't totally accepted that yet, but I'm working on it. Yeah. You know, I, at least now I can get to the end of the shift and say, "Well, I knew this was going to happen." <laughs>
0: Okay, well, so let's talk about something happy for a sec. What's been your best moment now as a second year? Any good moments? Any moments where you're like, I really feel like I've graduated in responsibility? I really feel like maybe a great interaction with the patient?
3: I'm, I'm hard-pressed to, like, sort of put my finger on one specific moment. What happens is, as you're given new responsibilities, you sort of grow into them, and you realize how much more comfortable you've become with the basics. You realize that your intern year has actually achieved its intended purpose, and... You know, a belly pain comes into your booth and you know what to order and you know what to do. And you realize that you sort of have the leisure to like ask what you need to ask and then like sit down and talk to the patient for a minute. It's very satisfying to suddenly have a sense. And I'm sorry that you guys are the foil for this as interns, but you sort of realize you're like, oh, I've learned a lot. At the end of intern year, you're sort of like, oh, I still don't know anything. Oh, great. I
0: have that to look forward to. Right. Because I kind of feel like that now. And you're telling me in a year's time, probably still going to never, yeah. All right. That's great. That's good. Mm um, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Go (laughs) ahead, (laughs) Danny.
3: But what will happen is then you'll start second year and new interns will come in and you'll be like, oh, it turns out I have learned like at least two things. Um, So it's been nice. You know, you start seeing sicker patients. You start sort of getting a sense of yourself as a doctor um, more than as someone who's playing doctor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not there yet. I still have a lot of those moments where I'm like, why am I in this funny white coat? it's fun you just sort of you get to focus more on the fun parts i think
0: yeah someone once told me uh, residency doesn't get easier but it gets better in a sense that like you get to focus on more interesting cases and i think some of the the other parts of residency that get you down like the clerical or just learning the you know the ins and outs of all the logistics of getting people through the ed like you start to get more comfortable with that so you get to focus on the more fun stuff do you feel like that that transition is happening for you now yeah can we pretend i said that yeah.
3: That's great. That's fine. Let's just dub that. We'll just Can dub we it with a make male voice? voiceover. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'll be like, oh, I'm dirty. <laughs>
0: <Yeah, laughs> I have an androgen problem, apparently. <laughs> all of a sudden. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, well, it's good to know that that's happening for you. I mean, what would you tell someone? So, Okay, let's fast forward a year from now, minus a few months. I'm uh, now in your second year on my first shift. I have double the amount of patients I was carrying on my last shift, maybe yesterday. <laughs> okay, and I feel swamped. I'm scared. I have, feel like I have six patients with less supervision than I did how do I cope what do I do
3: you well there's nothing you can really do everyone I mean okay there's like one or two people um, who like are just able to handle it from day one we call those people jerks (laughs) Um, because everyone else felt exactly that way and when you look now at the people who are fourth years who are like just rock stars who don't nothing seems to faze them they felt the exact same way the first day of second year that, mm-hmm. that you do on your first day of second year.
0: And any any shame in still reaching out for help? I know you said before you've gotten over the whole I feel bad about asking people for help. I <laughs> probably said that happened at intern year. Um, so do you do you still feel very comfortable going your attending and just saying, look, I, I don't know what to do with this patient, or you know, I need some you know, I need some
3: guidance right now. You you feel okay with that? The surest way to shoot yourself in the foot is to not ask for help in a situation that you know you can not handle you know nobody knows everything you never know so much that you've got nothing left to learn so if you think you need someone else's input i don't ever think there's any shame in going for that and certainly not in your second year of training in a field as overwhelming and huge as emergency medicine
0: for sure and i mean anything you would have done an intern year differently to prepare better for second i
3: am really bad about reading Get in the habit. I talk about reading journals, just like okay. Uh, not journals. Don't don't read journals at this stage because it's like reading the cutting edge is great, but until you have the foundation, I don't think there's a whole lot of utility. And okay. like you know, you see this when you go to Journal Club and you sort of walk out and you're like, well, that was like interesting, and I don't quite get how I'm going to apply this, but but it was interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But you've got to have the fundamentals. Have some time every week that you sit down and you read, and that's your habit which is a lesson that I've learned late.
0: Okay, excellent. So, so what I'm hearing for advice generally for coping with second year, take advantage of intern year to really get a good base of content because um, that you, you said you kind of underestimated the importance of that coming into second year, which is reading more. It could be textbooks. could be up-to-date. could be any resource that helps you feel like you're
3: building more of an arsenal of knowledge. Well, it could be Hippo EM. Yeah, actually, I, and I, I have no financial disclosures here. I actually think Hippo is great for that. Um, I think it's sort of the perfect format. You have these little 10 or 15 minute snippets and that works really well in the context of like, oh, I saw this today. I don't know a whole lot about it. Let me just let me watch the video and get a little
0: c- quick video. Yeah, excellent. Like little snippets of it, just establish that content base. Can I have my money now? Yeah, <laughs> Later, later, Danny. Later. Anyways, um, and you also had suggested now that you're 2nd second year, one of the things that you have learned is you gotta stay on top of the charting now more than ever, and it's okay to pause in the middle of a shift. Um, you know, obviously, in the absence of any critically ill patients, you're ignoring, but uh, you know, assuming didn't, that everyone's stable, that <laughs> <laughs> assuming everyone's stable to sit down at least plug out a few so you're not left at the end of your shift and to not feel bad about that which is i think was a good point don't feel bad that you have to pause for a second and plug out some charts um and also don't feel bad about asking for help no one's going to penalize you even though you're now second year and you don't have the kind of the safety net of being the intern it's still okay to ask a million questions and um, otherwise just enjoy your graduated responsibility all right buddy well thanks so much Janet. you got to get back to work my pleasure all right and it was uh, great to talk to you about transitioning from intern to second year And
2: we're out. Jenny, that was an excellent interview. Every time I
0: said a P word, though, like I died a little inside. I was like, I think there was one string of P's (laughs) where I was like, you have to pause and you're not going to get penalized. I'm like, oh, my God. Since then, I have purchased a pop filter every once in a (laughs) while. No, I I didn't even think
2: twice about it. I just enjoyed the discussion. It was really interesting hearing what you guys uh, go through at USC. There's a lot of things that we have in common at our different programs. But I think because... My program is a three-year program and you guys are a four-year. There's some fundamental differences in really the abruptness of how much responsibility you get. And so there was a lot of things from our discussion earlier that I could relate with what you were saying. And then from what Danny was saying, there was a lot I could relate to there. Um, It seems like you guys have a lot more graduated responsibility. And that's a term I've not really heard used at Metro. It's more like, get in there, kid, and good luck. (laughs) We're
0: going to throw you in the deep end, and we all learn to swim together.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like, you guys don't do any trauma in your first year. And, you know, technically, we don't do trauma in first year. We do it in – we do a trauma rotation, and then in second year, we have a a ton of trauma shifts. But there have been nights where it has just been jam-packed I'm working the overnight shift for some – Crazy reason they have single attending coverage in this ginormous emergency department. Mm -hmm. And when multiple traumas roll in at the same time, the second year who's on his trauma shift, he's pulling me from another room and saying, Jess, I need you to take room 14. No one else can do it. It's you. And I'm like, oh crap.
0: (laughs) You're like, I hope it's like a UTI. I hope that's what (laughs) you mean by only you can handle
2: it. I mean, that's traumatic, right? I
0: mean, if it's any sicker, they're surely mistaken. I sometimes look people square in the eye and I'm like, dude. You are so mistaken that I know more than I actually do. Like you need to, you need to see the vacancy behind my eyes and know that this is a bad call. And-
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's stressful. But those are kind of the nights where I've learned the most. True. And even though they've been very stressful, I look back. Oh my gosh, this was a crazy night, and I learned so much. Like this one night where where that happened, and then a little bit later, I had, I probably had six patients that I was seeing at the same time. And then another one comes in with a really deep forearm laceration. They're like, Jess, that one's you, you got it. And it's like through muscle and tendon and ulnar nerve, no big deal. Meanwhile, one of my psych patients is getting agitated and I have to take him down. And then I've got another, I've got patients fighting in the waiting room. They're fighting. And one of them gets like a finger laceration. He gets stabbed with a bottle, a broken bottle. And it was like, oh my God. But I got through it. And I felt like I learned so much. Like, wow, I kind of can't handle that.
0: Yeah. And like Danny said, there are, there are moments when he suffers from incontinence, just like his patients. Like, there are moments. <laughs> you learn a lot in those moments where you wet your pants, honestly, in the middle of the night on that night shift where you're just like, OK, today I grew a little. You know, today, today, a lot of maturity happened in, a, in this 10 or 8 or 12 hour interval. and um, And it ends up being worth it. But it's hard to go through. It's so hard to go through. Like you look up at the clock and you're like, I haven't had a sip of water in 10 hours. Like I have not sat down in eight hours. Like you just realize (laughs) I've been through a whirlwind, but I love Danny's talk. Don't you love Danny? He's like, he's great. He's so friendly. Yeah. Super great guy. And I I love that he shared, you know, just those fears that he had and, and, and really it made me feel better knowing that it's okay. Like no one expects you to be this rock star your first day of second year that, you know, even though you're no longer an intern, like they still know that you have a lot to learn and that you're going to get there. So just give it time.
2: I feel like one of the hardest things, just to kind of echo what Danny said, and then this is something interns go through, is knowing when you can make the decision on your own versus you need help. And there's a lot of gray zone there. Like, some things are really basic. Like, a lot of the time, I'll start the basic workup. But there's certain things where it's, for example, a CT scan. That's a lot of radiation. You know, it's kind of a big deal. And if I'm not sure, that's like, okay, do am I sure... That they need the CT scan, or do I need to run it by someone before I pull the trigger on that? And that's just really hard, is to the the kind of gray zone of what decisions can I make on my own versus I need to I need to get help on. And this.
0: it's almost kind of comical because I have attendees look at me and I'll say, well, we could either do this or that, and they're like, well, Jenny, what do you think? And I'm like. What do you mean, what do I think? No one cares what I think. Jenny doesn't think anything really other than what does my attendee want me to do? Like, I feel like I'm not there yet where I have, like, this clinical prowess to be like, well, I believe this is far more superior. Like, I'm still in that. I am not a scholar. <laughs> like, I don't study this. Like, I feel like my opinion means very little in this conversation. And it's it's difficult. It's difficult to reach that point where you feel like I have something to contribute when you're surrounded by scholars, when you're surrounded by people who have been doing this for so long. But I guess you kind of have to learn via saying something stupid and being corrected or, you know, in a nice way uh, to get to the point where you feel like that that level of I can determine whether, you know, I'm going to take option A or B and feel strong about it.
2: One thing that's kind of weird for me when we do our shifts over at the Cleveland Clinic, a lot of the time we have medical students assigned to us. It's very weird as an intern to have medical students. And even though I feel like I know nothing when I have a medical student who really knows nothing, I feel like I can wow. teach them something.
0: Wow. You just said, well, at least I know more than that guy. That's basically what you that, that's said. I made true. you dumb, but I know more than the meds. Right.
2: I don't know crap, but I know more than that guy. And then I <laughs> but feel. Uh, but
0: <laughs> some of those sub-eyes, Jess, they're good. Those sub-eyes. Oh, are they're third years, AM?
2: Jenny. They're third oh, years. The thir- oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Third
0: years for so sure. So they really yeah. know nothing.
2: And it's like their yeah, first rotation, yeah. too. But no, I feel like They I can still teach have a full social something.
0: history on every patient.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: I, I had this one <laughs> I know the breed of their dog. I'm like, no, we're not Pete's. Um, I had this one girl who kept asking questions about bowel movements and poop. I let her go in and take the history, and she was like, when was like your last? Like personal
0: questions? or She, was, she just wouldn't you... stop
2: with questions about poop. When was your last bowel movement? What was the consistency? Would you say it was runny? Did you see any blood? I was like, girl, let it go. Let it go. We are not here to let talk about go. poop.
0: Both literally and figuratively, just let it all go. <laughs> That is hilarious. Well, I, I I'm really looking forward to hearing more from Danny, perhaps, and and I and I uh, I understand you have some tidbits from a wise person over at the Cleveland Clinic slash Metro Health slash uh, Case Western. Case Western
2: Reserve. Um, Come on, get and it who right. is in Sell a different
0: phase of his career.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I talked to Dan Fisher, and he is a recent graduate of my residency program, and he just took on an attending position at the Cleveland Clinic. And so I had the opportunity to sit down with him and to hash out all the awkwardness of that transition. So let's take a listen to what Dan Fisher had to say about that. I'm here with Dan Fisher, who is a new attending at the Cleveland Clinic and recent graduate of the Case Western Reserve Metro Health slash Cleveland Clinic Emergency Medicine Residency Program. Did I get that right, Dan? You got it right. Thanks,
1: Jess, for having me.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for sitting with me today. Um... I wanted to talk to Dan about what the transition is like from being a senior resident one day and then magically you wake up the next day and now you're suddenly in an attending and now you have a department to manage and residents to look after. And Dan has graciously volunteered to discuss this with us. So thanks, well,
1: I, I hope uh, anything I have to say helps out uh, with folks kind of going through the transition and also the folks that are... Uh, expecting to transition here in about a year.
2: What are some of the challenges that you have faced during this transition period?
1: I mean, there's been plenty, and the and the, the whole transition period has been fast. I mean, it was just a couple months ago when I was finishing up, um, uh, but it's been fun along the way too. Some of the challenges uh, have mainly been based around my own fears, and I think that most folks, when they uh, when they finish up residency and they know they're moving into a position as a new staff, probably experience a lot of the same fears. But the those fears are are based around the pressure is going to be on me now uh what if i get a really sick person i don't know what to do with them because you know even as a senior resident you still get people like that and Mm -hmm. you don't know everything nor should you and you just do the best you can what if my what if my residents that are now working underneath me that i'm supposed to be teaching ask me something i don't know you get nervous about those things. So, of course, I think the, the day before my, my first shift, I, I think I studied for a couple hours. I was convinced <laughs> I was gonna have like super complicated people and my residents are gonna be pimping me <laughs> and all that stuff, anyway.
2: What can you tell me about that first day coming onto your shift? What were some of the other things going through your mind? What'd you see that day? How'd you handle it? Oh, I, yeah, I,
1: you know, I hoped I shaved appropriately because <laughs> my department wants to make sure we're all clean shaven, unless we have an active beard, it takes me like three weeks to grow anything. <laughs> things I was concerned about on, on day one were, you know, silly little things Having to do with like my new position and how did i look and was i going to be professional enough
2: what were some of the skills that maybe you didn't learn in residency that were important for being a new attending and how can other people acquire these skills
1: to be totally honest any emergency medicine residency program in the country has a primary goal of preparing you to effectively function as an attending on day one and uh and so like hopefully by the time you get out of residency you're ready to go and you're and you know what to do and know how to function at, at the same time as all that you're you're getting more comfort, comfortable and confident with managing the emergency department and uh recognizing sick from not sick and learning to teach along the way and effectively charting and all those kind of things.
2: Wow. So right now I'm just stressed out trying to figure out who's sick and not sick and how far away the nearest attending is in case someone is sick. So I can't imagine getting to that point. I'm sure I will eventually. The things I
1: found uh, that it was important to be comfortable with at the end of residency uh, were things like, you know, uh, emergency department management, um, meaning kind of monitoring the throughput uh, understanding the hospital bed situation, and especially nowadays, uh, all these hospitals are are kind of jam packed, and it's and it's good to have an understanding of uh, of what wait times are, and do you need to transfer patients to other locations, and uh, is is this patient going to be appropriate to hang out in the emergency department, or do you need to have the uh, the the intensive care team come and see them while they're waiting for that ICU bed.
2: What did what did our program do? Did you get to kind of f- fill the fill that role at, towards the end of residency? Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, I th- I think everybody, especially when they're starting residency, goes through the same uh, the, the same exact thing that you're descri- describing right now. And, and it's all a very new beast, and uh, and there are a lot of people, and you've got, like, you know, several patients to your name, and you have to know about everything that's going on with those patients, and then you have all these uh, orders coming to you, and all these people asking you questions, all these phone calls, you're making consults, and it can be a little intimidating at first, and and as you get more comfortable, you will learn to just flourish in that environment. You can, uh, you can be managing many people at once, and then take on additional people that are sick, uh, like right off the bat, and, and be comfortable with those extra people as well, uh, you'll start to potentially just be annoyed by the things that, uh, that previously frightened you.
2: Don't know if I'll ever get there with spiders, but hopefully with sick patients. Hopefully.
1: You should always have a healthy apprehension for sick people, but hopefully you don't uh, fear them as much by the time you're done. But if you can avoid you know, a paralyzing sense of fear, then you can function and act when you need to.
2: So do we get to have shifts where you get to kind of act as an attending so you're ready for that day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and I think a lot of uh, programs do this as well. At least at uh, the Metro Health program, we'd have these pretending days as third years and uh, and and you might like maybe you start the day off staffing some of your own patients with with some of the actual attendings, but as things get a little more comfortable and you have some more staff kind of kind of build up in the ED and some more coverage. Uh, maybe they'll assign an intern or two or a rotating resident with you and those folks will staff with you. And along those lines, I wanted to kind of throw in, if you have the time, would be to moonlight. And, uh, and I did that during my last year and I did it because uh, not only is it kind of nice to get a little extra cash here and there, but it really forces you to function independently mm-hmm. and to learn how to, uh, to be efficient, to trust yourself, depending on where you end up working. You might have uh, co-staff around or maybe you don't, maybe it's solo coverage.
2: Now, how do you handle the volume of charting? Because it's hard to just keep, keep current with the charts on your own patients, and now you've got to review the charts of all the residents and whoever else and kind of keeping a watchful eye of the department and also making sure that you're documenting all the right things for all the medical legal reasons that stress me out.
1: Oh, uh, You know, charting is, is the, the bane of all of us, and it's, uh, and it's incredibly frustrating, and some of the most successful docs are some of the most uh, efficient charters. And uh, because they chart quickly, efficiently, effectively, protectively, getting comfortable with, uh, with charting in, in all those different ways, uh, and also charting as you go through the course of your shift is really important uh, to, to make you a stronger chart in the end and, and it'll you know, save you time that you might spend after your shift charting, which everyone hates doing. A lot of uh, residents underneath you giving you patience constantly has a lot of charts to complete and you oftentimes have to wait for the resident to complete their own chart before you can finish it etc because you want to have the chart done right then and there but you have to be you have to learn to be patient you have to learn sometimes to be comfortable charting the next day and uh and then the same things apply like keep up with the charts as well as you can as you go along but by the time you finish residency you're going to be a more efficient effective charter
2: so by the time you finish residency you're, you're feeling pretty confident you can walk into the room you can handle the situation and then when you're in attending now you kind of have to give that Opportunity to your residents. So, what's that like for you? Are you are you comfortable kind of kind of letting them, uh, you know, take the lead and get in there oh, yeah, and, that's, and that, run the code? That was code something or... I was going to
1: bring up. You know, as a, as a senior resident, without a doubt. I mean, if you if you were to, if you were to speak with with most senior residents, um, by the end of their third year, hopefully, they're pretty comfortable hopping into a room, even with sick patients, taking control, rattling off their orders, uh, nailing down their exam and their history really quick, and then moving on to the next person, uh, unless they need to stick around and stabilize anything. You might walk into the room and immediately think I need to take control. Uh, and what you need to do as new staff is is, is remember that it's a that is a teaching environment. But if if there's some time, uh, and if and if this is a good learning case and the patient's otherwise, you know, not too unstable, you should back off and give your resident a chance to give them that extra minute. Even if they hesitate, it doesn't mean they don't know what they're doing. Give them, a, give them a second to start talking and let them know that it's okay for them to take over. Mm-hmm. And maybe with that little bit of a nudge, they can be the ones to get comfortable uh, saying, okay, well, we need IVO2 monitor. Let's get a quick EKG. Let them make those kind of moves because these are the things that they're going to need to be comfortable doing on their own. And if that's maybe one of the more challenging things as a new staff is just to uh, be comfortable um, knowing that that you're a teacher now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been a teacher all along, but maybe a little more importantly even now and you should be willing to back off a little bit and let them take the lead and have those kind of learning opportunities too.
2: What advice can you give to other people who are going to be in your shoes really soon?
1: Uh, there, I mean, there's always plenty of advice. Try and avoid just settling. The, the, the main thing is that you're happy with where you work, that you're happy with your career, and don't just jump on any job that pays a lot of money. Try and make sure you go someplace that you're excited about or someplace that gives you opportunities for you know, personal professional growth. Our department chair once said that our career path is, is a marathon not a race. Uh, it's about um, uh, your health, your happiness. Uh, it's about working normal hours once you finish and then otherwise just enjoying life.
2: Sound advice. Thanks so much Dan. Really appreciate it. Hey no
1: worries. Thanks a lot uh, you as well and, and have a wonderful evening.
2: And also appreciate you having at me the on the show. Clinic?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're <laughs> I look forward to the next shift we have together. Okay. You're doing great, Jess.
0: So, that was Danny number two. Does he go by Dan? Like, is he one of those people that corrects you if you call him Danny or Daniel?
2: Oh, he's so nice, though. I don't think he'd correct you. But he does go by Dan. We just thought we'd confuse everyone by having Dan, Danny, Jess, and Jenny on the first episode. Because some
0: people are really... Like, I met another Jennifer once, because my full name's Jennifer. And I called her Jen, and she was like, no, I'm strictly Jennifer. I'm like, whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Anyway, so I always ask now if I never assume any kind of abbreviated name. But anyways uh great guy I really loved your interview with so him and nice. I think I think my favorite part was when he said he tried to study or like read up <laughs> the night before his first day of attending like as if there's a chapter in a book somewhere like your first day as an attendant <laughs> things to know like it, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was so cute and I, I I myself have had those moments where I'm like oh I'm gonna be in the, the cardiac unit tomorrow I should read up on cardiology today as if I'm gonna like capture all of cardiology in that, you know <laughs> And I always feel like whatever I study the day before is never what comes up the next day. Of like course. if I read up on EKGs today, tomorrow I'll get like five thousand like belly pains that have nothing. You know, it's going to be something totally different. They're like
2: Jenny, why are you ordering EKGs on all these belly pains? I know. It's like shut up. Because I just
0: studied it yesterday, mm-hmm. and if if I don't look at it now, I'm going to totally forget everything I just <laughs> studied. Uh, so I love that he studied. I, I I really cracked up when I heard that. Yeah, I love that he
2: studied it and then resorted to shaving. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, you know, it's
2: good. And it's good.
0: I really think that I think half of that transition just must be assuming that role of, of leader and, and just playing the part, really. Because, I mean, I do expect that from my attendees to just, like, play the role of, like, I am in control and I will take care of all of you and it's going to be okay. You know? And I think I think he really, like, stressed the importance of, like, wanting wanting to be that for other people, but at the same time being human and being flawed, but also wanting to be a good guider yeah. of the ship, you know?
2: yeah. I feel like the overall common theme throughout this whole show has been embrace the awkwardness, it will get better, and try not to hurt or kill anyone in that process. <laughs> Always good
0: advice. <laughs> and I, I love that you talked about moonlighting, because of course of course that has got to be a great way to just get get yourself in the role of running, like being independent. Because when you're in the yeah. bubble of academics and you're surrounded by all these other residents and then attending, totally different than when you're finally working at a community ER or wherever they allow moonlighting around you and, and really running solo, so always encouraging that he really thought that was good for residents and to to get into that as soon as they could.
2: Yeah. Not just about the money, but personal growth.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And knowing if you want to stay in academics, because I remember talking to some people at the administrative level in my program, and a lot of them said sometimes when they have uh, people who are interested in coming to work in academics, they always have to ask them, like, are you here because you truly feel called to academics? Are you here because you're afraid of leaving the world of academics because you feel so comfortable in it? So I think the the moonlighting world kind of helps you to feel out, you know, am I truly meant to stay in this and serve as an attending or am I just sticking around because this is all that I know because my whole life has been academic medicine up until this point.
2: Yeah, and that's one of the small differences between the three-year and the four-year programs. I hope we can bring that perspective to the show since I'm at a three-year and you're at a four-year. But if you want to go into academics – And if you want to be at a four-year program, you have to have four years of training. So if I stay in academics, I'll have to do a fellowship somewhere before I could work at a four-year program. Now, Dan doesn't have that problem at all because he stayed at the Cleveland Clinic. And so, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're a three-year program. So, you know, that's one of the small differences. And hopefully we can kind of talk more about that. I think it's an interesting topic and one that that gets um, a lot of attention when you're interviewing for programs, and I'm still kind of figuring it out myself.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was just a great way to kind of wrap up our, our talk on transitions. I feel like, you know, we've captured the the awkwardness of being med student, now intern, and then, you know, in between your residency when you're kind of moving up the ladder and, and, and getting farther away from your med school life and closer to your uh, first real job, and then finally uh, finishing residency and starting up with that first, uh, you know, big position, in this case, someone who chose to stay in academics. So a lot of changing of the guard a lot of uh you know wonderful advances in what you're able to do with your life and career but i i love that the common theme was basically everyone feels a little awkward everyone feels a little uncomfortable but you're gonna get through it eventually and you know any good person wouldn't judge you for it because they've all been there been there themselves
2: well put jenny Let's change gears now and go to our tip of the month. Hopefully this will be the first of many. And this one comes to us from Lynn Desalon, who is an attending physician at Metro Health Medical Center.
4: Um, Young gentleman who uh, actually wasn't written on the triage note, but HIV positive since birth um, with a couple of day history of um, sore throat, difficulty, swallowing secretions, but able to, muffled voice um, and fever, subjective fever. Um, on his exam, um, he had a hyperemic throat peritonsillar area and tonsillar area without exudates there, but he actually had oral thrush in his posterior pharynx. Well, besides his, the dehydration, since he hadn't uh, had anything to drink all day and some IV fluids, um, he got some IV steroids for pharyngitis. He had, and my main concern was that this was going to be his epiglottis, um, um, so I decided to screen him with a lateral soft tissue neck. Uh, with the thought being that if it was completely normal, we were in good shape, and he'd be just an observation guy, IV antibiotics. Um, if it was positive, then we would need to go further. He had a lateral soft tissue neck with a the thumbprint, the classic, that I got to teach an intern. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, you're welcome.
2: <laughs> okay, and so, so what's the plan for him right now?
4: So the plan, if he was a guy that would have allowed me uh, to... Do a, a little better um, look in the back of his throat, and didn't didn't have such a strong gag reflex. Um, I like doing a direct look on these guys, and I find using the GlideScope is actually easier than the old days. We still have the the headlight and the um, the mirror. Uh, we've used direct um, using direct laryngoscopy, but using the GlideScope actually you just can numb these guys up, and the way I do that is I take 4% lidocaine. Never more than three cc's because it's 40 milligrams a cc. Um, mix it with a little saline. Nebulize that over about ten minutes. Not too fast, five liters an hour. And everything is numb. Their nasal patches are numb. Their tongue is numb. It's, they tolerate it very well. And I take a glidescope and just peek down there. I find that in the past I've used um, cane spray that's supposed to smell good. All they do is cough and spew on it and spit most of it out and you never really get them fully numb. Um, we've tried uh, you know, lidocaine jelly, but I just, I find that this works the best, even for draining peritonsillary abscesses. These guys are great. They just, they don't feel anything. About three cc's of nebulize, 4% lidocaine mixed with a couple cc's of saline. Um, very good for anesthesia of the soft palate for peritonsillary abscesses, direct looks, direct laryngoscopy.
0: That's a great idea. You know, I've also seen that done uh, when they're placing NG tubes Just to make it more comfortable for the patient to use that nebulized Lido.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's really useful. I got to use it. It was actually coincidental. I just heard that tip, recorded Dr. Deslon explaining it. And then it was overnight, which seems to be when all the drama happens in the ER, and a young kid came in who actually swallowed some explosives, and he ended up having some pretty severe pharyngeal burns. And he oh was my really, God, yeah. who does this? I know, poor guy. <laughs> he was so uncomfortable. And we had to give him suction for his mouth because he couldn't even swallow. His airway was still patent. But then I remembered, okay, I know I can make this guy a little bit more comfortable right now. And I had them drop some lidocaine in a nebulizer and it made him feel a little bit better.
0: Look at you so, thanks, taking a lesson learned. They See, but you had it the next night. That never happens. <laughs> that never happens. Sometimes it works you out. You lucky duck. You took a, you took a page right. from Danny's book and studied up the night before.
2: Let's close out the show with some news of what's going on in emergency medicine.
0: Emergency medicine. World News.
2: Yay! So we have an ASAP conference coming up, ASAP 2013. It's going to be held in Seattle, and that'll take place October 14th through 17th. Woohoo! Go Seahawks! Sure wish I could go.
0: That's all I know about Seattle. Do you know anything else about Seattle?
2: They have coffee and
0: they started grunge. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it rains a lot it's pretty and that's where asap is which i am not going to this year
0: <laughs> Where to perk it up
2: <laughs> all right uh next order of business hippo em hippo em is going to be offered at a discounted price for residents it's dropped down to 249 dollars and that's for a 12 month subscription and remember this covers your abem model of the clinical practice of emergency medicine 249 divided by what 350 how many days in a year
0: 365 oh my god 365
2: <laughs> 68 oh cents god. a day all right is that eight cents a day
0: 68 68 cents a day that's like less than you know helping feed the starving children in africa what is that like a dollar a day so you're telling me for less than it costs to keep a child alive I can prepare for my board.
2: <laughs> that's right. For 68 cents per day, you, can, that is you amazing. can educate yourself. And if I order
0: now, do I get free shipping <laughs> and, a free, and a free set of steak nuts? <laughs> <laughs> and they will cut through a shoe. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's a great deal. That's good. Hopefully a lot of people take advantage because it's great board prep. Yeah. And,
2: you know, that's affordable for a resident. I know we don't make that much money, but that's not too bad. So cough it up, people. You can do it. It's your future. let's get into another news story this has has caught the national news's eye as well and this is about a doctor who's charged with four revenge killings in omaha nebraska i don't know if you heard about this wow
0: omaha i don't think of revenge killings i think of like cows and nice christian people
2: yeah well this guy (laughs) dr anthony joseph garcia he's 40 years old i think he's neither of those two things you mentioned uh he was a pathology resident at creighton and in 2001 he was dismissed from that program for unprofessional behavior and then he comes back and he's now accused of murdering four people allegedly has murdered the 11 year old son of one of the program directors uh, his name was Thomas Hunter and the family's housekeeper. Wow. And so it looks like that was perhaps an accident of who happened to be home in the house at the time. And then he's also accused of killing Roger Brumbach. And that's one of the physicians there and his wife, Mary. And that that murder took place in May. So that's pretty shocking. And was the fourth? <laughs> that was four. So it was the 11 year old kid, the housekeeper, and then oh. Dr. Brumbach and his wife mary so four people how awful and the the the
0: other doctor he was uh, a part of the, the pathology program there was see the program director or he yeah just... he was
2: one of the people in the pathology department although i'm not exactly clear what his role is specifically there or was wow how
0: awful that's
2: horrible it's really I shocking mean, it's yeah a... when you hear these stories that's... about residents or physicians who who commit these really atrocious acts yeah it's really shocking. I mean...
0: I never would think about a resident going AWOL like that. What was the time frame between when he was let go and when he did this? Do we know?
2: Looks like seven years passed. So he was dismissed wow, in 2001. Seven years? Yeah. And and the murders took place, the first set of murders took place in 2008. And then the second set of murders took place just this year in 2013. So he must have been really dwelling on this for quite a while. Wow.
0: That's awful. Well, that that's really awful for the pathology department there, but it's... You know, it just goes to show how much you need to, like, really take care of, like, the mental health of health professionals. You know, it's, it's, it's something that I think always gets neglected because people think if you're in the medical profession, you're going to utilize it in the most responsible way. When in reality, medical professionals are probably the worst at monitoring their own health, let alone their mental health. So, yeah, it's true. Uh, maybe it's true. a lesson there and just taking care of people's well-being even you know especially when something like this happens and they'll let go from their program you know a lot of people lose a big sense of their identity when they're not able to practice medicine after all those years of training in school so i can't even imagine have, if yeah.
2: if something like that happened and i was dismissed from a program and having the enormous burden of debt and no way to pay it back that must be uh that must be incredibly stressful so um So anyway. Way to perk up the mood there. (laughs) Let's, Let's cover one more article. This one comes to us from the Annals of Emergency Medicine, September 2013. So it's quite current. And this is a study done by the RAND Corporation, which is a nonprofit think tank. And they're looking at the percentage of admissions to the hospital from emergency departments. And they found that this number is increasing and it's currently about 50%. Now, a lot of this stuff is kind of common sense like oh let's point out the obvious and, and we'll study it and then we'll publish it. I love articles like that. But it's kind of, it makes some interesting points here. So even though this number is increasing, there's been a proportional decrease in the admissions from primary care physicians from outpatient settings. And so what they're extrapolating from this is that primary care physicians are sending their patients to the emergency department so they can get sort of an expedited workup. You know, we have access to a lot of technology that primary care physicians don't have in their offices like CT scanners and MRIs, and we're able to run tests very quickly and get quick results. And so it seems like more people are getting sent from their primary care office to the emergency department for this quick workup, and then we end up admitting them. Now, this comes into play in an interesting way with the Affordable Care Act because it's becoming more and more important how healthcare dollars are being spent. And even though we have uh, this increase in hospital admissions, it looks like emergency physicians are playing a really constructive role in constraining the growth of hospital admissions. Really, Constraining. So, yeah. And, and a good example. Yeah. It, so it looks like it's an increase, but actually emergency physicians are being trained to decipher who really needs to be admitted and who doesn't. And so they, they point out two really good examples. Patients with heart failure and patients with angina. So these admissions are actually going down, and they're attributing this to the increasing use of observation units in emergency mm-hmm. departments. That's something we have at Metro and Cleveland Clinic. Do they have that yet at USC, Yeah, we Jenny? have observation. Yeah, so patients like that where uh, in the past that would have definitely been an admission for that cardiac rule out workup now they can go to the observation unit where they're not technically admitted and that saves a lot of health care dollars yeah no i
0: love that we have an observation area in our emergency department it does safeguard from more unnecessary admissions and it's just overall better care for the patient because i mean the more i'm learning the more i am advancing in medicine the more i'm realizing how being hospitalized just has this incredible potential to make you even more sick just being in the hospital and being exposed to all those different pathogens and so if you could safeguard someone from at least making their way up to the floor where they're going to maybe sit there for several days <coughs> versus a couple more hours in an observation unit it's actually you know just it, it protects them all around in ways that I I didn't realize when I was like in medical school you know you think well in the hospital you're safer and it's better for you but actually not really sometimes the more time a medical team has to kind of you know, pick apart your issues and just, you know, maybe do some treatment they otherwise wouldn't do unless you were going to be there for a few days. Like, I think less time in that setting than necessary yeah, is actually better.
4: All right,
2: folks. Well, that wraps up our news segment for the month.
4: Emergency medicine. World
0: news. There you have it. That's our our very first episode of the Resident Call Room. Uh, we loved having the theme of transitions be kind of our first one out of the gate. We started off with me and Jess talking about our mutual uh, awkwardness, which is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout the show. Uh, and then got a chance to speak to Danny Mindlin over at USC about his transition from intern to PGY2 and what the challenges that brought him.
2: And we talked to uh Dan Fisher who is a new attending at the Cleveland Clinic, and he gave us his perspective about being a new attending and how awkward and lovely that So basically,
0: is. it'll never stop being awkward. And the sooner we learn to adapt, the, the, the better we will all be.
2: Embrace it. Just embrace it. And hopefully we made you guys laugh a little bit and, and brought you some fun tips along the way that will be useful for you. So... Thanks for listening. Please contribute your interesting cases with good learning points, send us your chart treasures that you come across, and suggestions for what you'd like to hear more about.
0: There you go, folks. Now get back to work. Like are we going to have a little thing like the get back to studying, but for this. And that's our first episode. Nah, 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 nah,
2: nah. <laughs> uh, get back to work.
0: Keep paying off those loans.
2: <laughs> <laughs> go save some lives. Yeah, we do need it. I kind of like that. I'm trying to think of what our sign-off could be. Because they end every Rap by... Well, not every Rap, but that's Mel Herbert's catchphrase, What You Do Matters. It's what you do sort of matters. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Yeah. We're not as clever as that Australian guy. We'll come up with something. We'll think of something clever. Yeah.
0: I do like the now get back to paying off your loans. <laughs> Learn, get back to learning and living.
2: Educate and resuscitate If we can end every show With some dumb catchphrase That I come up with Because that's what I do With a different
0: one Go educate and resuscitate Yeah command Go educate and resuscitate
2: Go educate and resuscitate Yeah Educate and resuscitate (laughs) Yeah yeah